Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 14 uh, through to verse 16. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through to verse 16. Amen. Let's turn there together this morning. Praise the Lord. Let us pray as we turn. Father, this morning we give you thanks and we give you praise for Jesus. Lord, we ask for your help as we come we gather around your word this morning. We pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost to be upon us, both to preach and to hear your precious word. Lord, we pray this morning that you would captivate our hearts, shut us in with yourself. Lord, would you break the bread of life? Would you minister to our hearts this morning everything of what you desire to say and do in this house today? Lord, we just give you all the praise and all the glory for what you've done in each of our lives. Lord, we thank you for the cross, the blood, the sacrifice that has been made for each of us. And so, God, we just come today as we open your word. Lord, may our hearts be opened. And, Lord, may you minister deep into our lives, into our hearts. We ask all these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to continue on just from uh, last week. And uh, I just pray, you know, over these number of services that... Uh, the Lord has given me some messages for, in particular, uh, you know, I just believe it's a message for those that are, that have been greatly battling in their faith and, and to be able to walk in the fullness and in the victory of what Christ has afforded or accomplished for us. And just in these few messages over the next few weeks, turn into the book of Hebrews and particularly we'll move into chapter 6, 7, 8, 9 and 10. Uh, just those chapters and bringing out some of those great truths that are there. Uh, I just pray as we looked at it last week that there be hearts that are receptive. Uh, you know, often even in counseling and speaking to people as believers, I, I get into some areas where there's some great struggles in life. People have often said, but I don't believe that or I can't believe that. And so it's important this morning, if you don't, and if you don't, I, 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 you know, grasp hold of these precious promises and apply them to your life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we don't believe them, then the fullness and the power of the Word of God, the fullness and the power and the Word of God then can't have an effect in our lives because we need faith to apprehend and lay hold of the promises of God. So we believe in God's Word. That is absolutely essential that these Many of these things that we're talking about are basic uh, things, but in these days, they're in some way, for some reason, they've been eroded and they're taken away from the centrality of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And so I just want to gain, these are the foundational blocks, if you like, in the faith. And through these, through the proclamation of these uh, truths this morning, I, I believe that God wants to do work a work in hearts, and not only that, but for those who live in the fullness of this, these are the things that we must minister to a world that's around us. We have an answer for a lost world. It is the gospel. It is Jesus. He is enough this morning. And so we just come to his word today, just with our hearts open for him to do a work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, if you move over into Hebrews chapter uh, 6, just the last verses, we're going to come to those in a minute, and then into Hebrews chapter 7. But I want to just talk about those few chapters for a moment. From Hebrews chapter 6 through to Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews brings us the comparison of the Old Testament and the New Testament bringing the reality and the truth that the old is inferior to that which is the new. The New Testament, the mediator of that New Testament, is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. 
And throughout these few chapters, some of the most marvelous truths concerning the the sacrifice of Christ, the death of Christ, the shedding of the blood of Christ, the ascension of Christ and his priestly office as our great high priest is brought as a great revelation and truth. And this is communicated to us through the preaching of of the word of God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired the apostle to illuminate these precious truths to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. And so this morning as we come to look at these precious promises that are in Christ and are yes and amen to us, we must come with an open heart and allow the Spirit of God to illuminate these truths into our hearts and to receive them and to believe them. It is the Holy Spirit who will bring these truths and the revelation of them into our hearts. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Now last week in 2 Corinthians 3, if you just turn into that chapter for a moment, we looked at the wonderful work of the new birth. And this is a promise that God had made in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, concerning the New Testament in his blood, what happens at the point of the new birth experience. Someone was praying this morning, you've given me a new heart with new desires. That is the power of the born-again experience. People say, I can't live it. Praise the Lord. Join everyone else. None of us can live this by our own strength. But what he does through the new birth is give us a new heart. And 2 Corinthians 3 and 3 it says, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. So God gives us a new heart. He takes away the stony heart, the heart that is hardened. He gives us a heart of flesh. And then the spirit of the living God writes on our hearts the law of God, brings the reality of everything of what Christ has done on the cross and writes it in our hearts and in our minds. Now that great verse that we often quote, now where the Spirit of the Lord is, what is there? There's liberty. That great verse is found in this chapter, and it's relating to the the administration of this New Testament in His blood. So the Spirit of the Lord wants to convey to us the fullness, the liberty, the victory, the freedom that Christ brings through His death his blood, his resurrection, and his ascension. So when it says in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, remember this says there in verse 6, if you go back, he also made us able ministers of the New Testament. Now I believe that, and just as we're coming to this, God wants to make every person in this room an able minister of the New Testament. That's not just for preachers that stand on platforms. That's every believer in this room. God wants to make us able ministers of this New Testament. We must minister the New Testament in his blood to this broken world. This world is crying out for an answer. It's a broken world. And the only hope of our nation, brothers and sisters, is not politics It is not religion, but it is the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to stay with me because that might seem matter of fact. But the tragedy of our day is this. That largely we are losing a whole generation of young people to every type of deep sinful practice that you can imagine. It's not hidden it is absolutely exposed and open on our streets. When we were away there, and nearly every day we seen homosexual couples, young people particularly, walking around hand in hand, arm in arm. I was talking to the lads, we were just going through it. 
That's a sign that we are in the last days. As it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be. That is the, the evidence of where we are today. But brothers and sisters, we must minister this gospel to the broken and the needy. It's not the day for standing with placards and hammering people over the head. Brothers and sisters, this is a day to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ of a broken world because it is the answer. He is the answer. And we cannot present to them a religious facade because our nation has an awful lot of religion. I'll look a wee bit more at this tonight in the gospel message, but the Pharisees had an outward experience. They were moral on the outward. They were Beautiful, as he said, there were whited sepulchers that were beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, religion has nothing to offer. It doesn't set the captive free. It doesn't deliver the oppressed. It doesn't open the blinded eye. It doesn't make the lame to walk. It doesn't put a new song in the heart. It is dead and it is no answer for a broken world. And that religious system around us is crumbling. But there is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that part changes and sets a life free. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Isn't that right? No, but it says there's liberty. Now, liberty, what does that mean? When the Holy Spirit is going to convey to us everything of what Jesus has done on the cross, his death, his blood. And this morning we'll be looking at him as our great high priest. And maybe I'm doing it back to front. I should do the death, the blood, and then the high priest. But I believe it's important because once I am saved, I've been saved since 1993, but there's been a man sitting in heaven that has interceded on my behalf every day, every minute, every second, every hour, every month, and every year, and he will continue to represent me this morning. There is a man in the glory representing Tim McElrath and representing you this morning if you're saved. He'll never fail. And he, is, he has your best interest. He will hold you tight. He will keep you through every storm. You may not feel you're going to make it, but you can look over your life, no matter how long you've saved, and say, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And it's the ministry of the Spirit of God and the grace of God to enable us to live this life. Many times we thought we weren't going to make it. Isn't that right? Many times you felt, I don't think I'm going to make this one. But somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, our great high priest, has brought us through. And he's worthy of praise this morning. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. What does that mean? Now, the meaning of this freedom, liberty means freedom. But this is important this morning. Freedom, this is the original meaning. Freedom from the dominion of corrupt desires. Freedom from the dominion, the power of corrupt desires. So that we do by the free impulse of the soul what the will of God requires of us. That's what the Spirit of the Lord will bring. He looses us. He looses us from the dominion of corrupt desires. Here's, this is something so important. Remember Paul said, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Jesus said, if the Son shall make you free, that's the same word again, you shall be free indeed. This is the power of the gospel. This is the new birth. It frees a man or a woman from the dominion or the power of corrupt desires. Now, listen, brothers and sisters, we've already touched on it. That includes homosexuality. You hear me this morning? It includes homosexuality, drunkards, adulterers, murderers, liars, homosexuality. The power of the gospel, the power of Jesus Christ, his death and his blood. This liberating power that the Holy Spirit brings breaks the power. Breaks the power. Are you listening this morning? We have an answer for the homosexual community. We don't hate them. 
We hear that the highest rate of suicide is amongst the homosexuals. Now I know the twist and the deception in that is this. That's because we're all homophobes, right? It's because of you, because you believe that homosexuality is a sin. I do, because the Bible. But I believe that drunkenness is a sin. I believe it lands a sin. I believe it murders a sin. I believe adultery is a sin. I believe idolatry is a sin. And so we know that these are sins and there's the power of sin in a life. Now through particularly the media that is driven largely by the demonic forces of hell, this whole wave that we have received in these days, a wave of, of, of sin that is unimaginable has swept into our nation. It's, it's been like a tsunami. Isn't that right? It's swept in. It's, it's like you're looking at it and going, how did this happen? But through particularly the media, particularly the whole liberal media that we have today, and through the pop culture, or the music used to be called pop, but today it's called everything, I'm not too sure. But through the whole music scene, and through every that, that has been driven by the powers of darkness to bring in this whole scene that we are looking at today. Brothers and sisters, these young ones and older ones that have been swept in to this sin and this darkness, the reason why they're so tormented and not knowing where to turn and take in their lives is because it's driven by demonic forces. It's driven by demonic forces. This Our battle is not, the, it's not an argument that we're trying to have with people. It does not achieve. This is, I've come more to, 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 just to believe this. I've tried to be balanced in it, but I've come to, it does absolutely nothing just for us to stand and yell and shout at homosexuals marching through our streets. What the church must do is first get on its knees and begin to pray to God Almighty for an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. And number two, to minister the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolishness to them that perish, but to us that are saved. And some of us were drunkards. Some of us were homosexual. Some of us were liars. Some of us were cheaters and murderers. But this morning we're washed in the blood of Jesus. And the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel, this New Testament in his blood, defeats and releases the individual from the corrupt desires, the power of that through the blood of Jesus. In other words, he gives you new desires. It's not. And sadly today, I've mentioned it last week, and I want to reiterate it. It's not going through a course that frees you from corrupt desires. It's not going through a course that can't free you from corrupt desires. It's the power of the new birth. If any man's in Christ, He's a new creature. It's the part of the new birth. And while we try to, to bring in so many methods and schemes and courses and all the rest, I know the, the intention is sincere for the most part, but it cannot loose the individual from the corrupt desires. But thank God this morning, the blood of Jesus Christ and the part of the new birth breaks the part of that sin gives a new heart, and gives new desires. And we are ministers of this new covenant. That's what we must be. We have an answer. We have an answer. We're not here to argue whatever. We are here to minister this life into this community. So if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. You're free this morning. The, 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 the deceitfulness of all of this, these courses, if I could touch on them again, is this. You go through them and at the end of them, what you're instructed to do is suppress, suppress the corrupt desire. Intellectually, you may have received an awful lot of information how you are to live your life, how you are to walk, what you're supposed to do, how you can control your will. Can I tell you something, friends? I lay on a hospital bed at the age of 20, was told if I did not stop drinking alcohol, I'd be dead by I'm 25. To my shame, I left the hospital bed the next day and went down to the Barclay Bar and got drunk because I had no power in myself to change who I am. But Jesus Christ sets the prisoner free. 
This is the power of the new birth. I say that this morning because we are seeing it more and more, how we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come to fill the church of Jesus Christ, not for us to be happy, not for us to just jump about, but for us to minister this life into the broken, guilty, vile, and helpless, we spotless Lamb of God is He. He can lift a sinner from the gutter and set him free. Praise the Lord this morning. And so we must, we must, we must grasp these simple truths. They're simple, but we must minister them to this broken world. We do have an answer. His name's Jesus. In this chapter here, when we come into Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to look at Christ this morning as our great high priest. He's superior than that of the Old Testament high priests. He is unique. The role of the high priest in the Old Testament, for those who don't know, and I'm going through this very quickly, I know there's a lot more detail, particularly concerning the Day of Atonement. One day every year, the high priest in the Old Testament, whether it was uh, in the Mosaic uh, tabernacle or with David's tabernacle, Solomon's temple, this pattern that Moses received in the mountain, he received it from God of the heavenly type. So the Old Testament was a shadow of what the reality was. So once a year, the high priest, he was going to enter in to the Holy of Holies. And he was representing the people, but he was there for two things. He was there to appease the wrath of God because of the sin of the people and also for the covering of their sin. There's a couple of theological terms for that, but I want to keep it largely simple. So the high priest who was from Aaron and of the tribe of Levi would change constantly, father, son, father, son. It would go right down the line. And so he would prepare himself. There would be the washing, there would be the... Uh, shedding of blood for his for the sacrifice for his own sins then he would come and particular on the day of atonement there would be two goats involved and we'll come to this more uh, in the coming weeks but those two goats were important on that day of atonement one would be sacrificed and, and, and one would be brought into the wilderness one was to appease the sacrifice of the blood of that goat which was brought into the holy of holies was to appease the wrath of Almighty God. The other goat, the, the sins of the people, the hands of the priest would be put upon its head. It was called the scapegoat. And so the, the goat, the sins of the people symbolically would be put upon the goat and the goat would be brought into the wilderness and let loose that their sins have been taken away and the blood of the other goat appeases the wrath of Almighty God. And so this is the ritual that he would go through. He would pass into the past the altar into the holy place this is once a year he would go right behind that veil and he would go into the holiest holies with the sprinkling of blood he could only go on that day on the command of god if he went any other time the vitigus 16 tells us he would be instantly killed this was so serious god deals with sin seriously god hates sin and so this was a ritual that was going on in israel when you look on your TV screens today and you see uh, Israel who are blinded in part, there's a veil upon them that they cannot see. God will lift that veil from them, but they cannot see. They stand at the, at the weeping wall. It's the closest, to they believe, to the Holy of Holies. They're longing again for the reinstitution of that system. But in Christ, that system has been done away with. And so this priest would go through this ritual time and time and time again. This is known as the Yom Kippur. It is once a year and that priest would enter the Holy of Holies. And this was repeated year in, year out. It was a change of priesthood starting from Aaron and working its way down generation after generation. Repeated the blood of bulls and goats constantly going through this whole religious system. But that blood could never take away their sin. We're talking about this morning. The liberating power of the blood of Jesus removes the power of sin in a life. But this blood could never take away that sin. And here we see that Christ, when he came in his high priestly office, 
was about to do something wonderful when he died, shed his blood, was buried, rose again on the third day. What did he do? He ascended into heaven. Now, where is Jesus today? He's here by his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, where the twos or threes are gathered in his name. Where is he? He's in the midst. But secondly, and this is wonderful, there's a man up in the glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, and his name is Jesus. Now, what is he doing? He's officiating on our behalf. He is our great, remember we read it this morning, we have, seeing then, we have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. Now, let's look at this order this morning to understand it. And stay with me just for a few minutes because I'm trying to uh, keep it simple, if you like, and, and just to move through it slowly so we just come together on it. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, we pick up this revelation that the writer of Hebrews is going to bring to us concerning the Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest. Verse 17 says, We're in God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. He confirmed it by an oath, the unchangeable, the heirs of the promise. Who are they? We're the heirs of his promise. Praise the Lord this morning. You know you're an heir this morning. Amen. So these, these promises are for you. And so it says that by two immutable or unchanging things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Praise God. Our God doesn't lie. We have a God that speaks and his words are true. We might have a strong consolation. What does that mean? There's two immutable things whereby God cannot lie. That we might have a strong who are we? This is we this morning, right? This is not someone else. This is you this morning. A strong consolation. Know what that means? That you might have a powerful comfort. That you might be comforted this morning by the promises that are in this book. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is entered for us, even Jesus, and then just pick up these last words, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here is Christ, our great high priest, and it's after the order of Melchizedek. Now, who is Melchizedek? Melchizedek, is found in Genesis 14. Don't want you to turn there, but he's found in Genesis 14. In that great chapter, Genesis chapter 14, we read there of the war of the kings. It was Abraham. He went out to war, the great war of the kings, and God gave him a mighty victory. Abraham is the father of our faith, and he obeyed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. And as he came back from that great victory, the Bible tells us that all the spoils of that war Abraham gave a tenth. That's the first time in the Bible that tithing is mentioned. It isn't mentioned under the law. It is mentioned under faith, the principle of the tithe. He came back from that great victory of all the spoils that he'd received, and he gave a tenth unto Melchizedek. Now, you know, here we're reading in Hebrews that Jesus Christ, the great high priest, we are as we are looking at this this morning, he is after the order of Melchizedek. So in the principle of our tithe, it's not by law, but it's by faith and by grace that we offer our tithes unto the Lord. And this morning the Bible's clear when we bring our tithes in to the storehouse that there might be meat in my house, that he would open the windows of heaven and that he would bless us. And this is the principle of the tithe, a tenth of what we earn, that we give it into the house of the Lord for the work of the Lord, and the Lord blesses us. You know, the Lord blesses us when we tithe, but it's not of law. It is under faith that we give that by faith. Now in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, we read this of Melchizedek. Remember, Jesus is after this order. 
Hebrews 7 verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation, he's the king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salam, which is the king of peace. Now there's no one else that fulfills the titles than the king of righteousness and the king of peace than Jesus Christ. What's significant about this man? Jesus was a high priest after this order. What is unique about him? He was not after the order of Aaron or that priesthood. He stands alone in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, not of the tribe of Levi, but neither was Jesus. He was of the tribe of Judah. And the land of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And so this morning we see here the uniqueness of Melchizedek. We are told nothing of his genealogy. Verse 3 in chapter 7. Stay with me this morning. Here it says of Melchizedek, Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor their end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. We see here that Melchizedek, Genesis 14, stands alone in that Old Testament, separated from the order that was after Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. And it says nothing of his genealogy. That does not mean that he was not born. What it's bringing forth is the revelation that this is the type that Jesus would come and be after the order, that he's no beginning. You know, someone said the other day on Thursday morning, and I understand where they're coming from and the, the religious background. They talked about Mary, the mother of God. Could I tell you something? Mary's not the mother of God. Jesus has no beginning and he has no ending. He is the almighty God. He is the first and the last. He is almighty God manifested in the flesh. He was the vehicle by which Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I know it's the religious system, but brothers and sisters, people get blinded by religious systems to see in the fullness and the wonder of who Jesus is. And here we see in this, that this man, Jesus, is after this order. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am he that liveth, I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. He is a continual great high priest. There is no one before him, there is no one after him, and there is no one like him this morning. He is unchanging, he's our great high priest. Now through the cross and the death, and the burial and the resurrection, and ultimately the ascension of Jesus Christ. This was crucial because we got to know what's he doing today. What is Jesus doing today? With Hebrews chapter 1, if you go to the beginning of this great book, and verse 1, Hebrews 1 and 1, tells us this. Hebrews 1 and 1, God who at sundry times in diverse manners speak in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. This is Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, that's awesome this morning. When he had by himself purged our sins. And what did he do? He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Thank God Jesus has sat down. Before he sat down, he purged my sins. He purged my sins. Praise God this morning. He ascended into heaven and he sat down being made so much better than the angels, as he has been inheritance obtained a more excellent name than them. Here is Jesus Christ, seated this morning. The Lamb of God has overcome in glory and the primary capacity of his office in heaven. And this is where I want to come to this morning. He is our great high priest. He's my great high priest. He's your great high priest. Now what does that mean? As that priest in the old, as it changed and they went for cleansing for themselves, Jesus did not have to sacrifice anything for himself because he was without sin. He was unique. There's no one like 
Jesus. There was no sin in him. But he came into this world and took our sin upon himself through his death and the shedding of his own blood. He ascended into heaven and he sat down representing his people before the Father with his own precious blood. The Bible tells us here, Ephesians 4 and 10, if you just turn to it, Ephesians 4 and 10, these are the resurrection gifts given to the body of Christ, separated from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 and 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, and he gave as a resurrected Christ apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Jesus this morning is seated as our great high priest at the right hand of the Father. Now, let's look at our great high priest for a moment. Three things I want to say. Hebrews 7, verse 15, if you turn over. Hebrews 7, verse 15. Here's three things that we want to note this morning. This is important. Hebrews 7, 15. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life for he testifieth thou art a priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. Jesus is there in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, after the power of an endless life. There's no change. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That should encourage you this morning. I tell you why we have a strong consolation this morning. Because I have a man in heaven. His name is Jesus. He's my great high priest. He's there by the power of an endless life. He's no beginning and he's no ending. And he's representing Tim McElrath at the right hand of Almighty God this morning. And I have a strong consolation that I can flee and I can lay hold of that hope that is before me. That is the forerunner, Jesus Christ, who was gone into heaven, who sits there on my behalf. There's Neil Prince in his hands and he calls my name. And I am represented to Almighty God. That's the same for you, Sandra. That's the same for you, Gillian. That's the same for you, Kim. That's the same for you, Neil, this morning. He represents us in heaven with the power of an endless. There's no change in this priesthood. He's the great high priest, and his name is Jesus. In Hebrews 7, 21, secondly, it tells us there, for those priests were made without an oath. But here is the surety that we have. But with this, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear. Remember, what do we read? That God can't lie. Isn't that what we read this morning? He never lies. So God swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety, or that's a pledge, of a better testament. This was a sacrifice. It was once and it was for all. It never needs to be repeated and it's held there by the power of his word. And we have a great hope this morning, not in ourselves, but in the hope and the word of God that shall never, ever, ever fail. That's the power of his word. Number three, Hebrews seven twenty-three. And they truly were many priests. In other words, there was constantly a change of the priest because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. He never changes. He's always the same. Now, what does that mean? We read there, he's the part of an endless life. There is an oath and a promise. And number three, it's an unchangeable priesthood. Three things about this great high priest. What does that mean then to you and I? What's the revelation that God wants to bring to our hearts this morning? Well, Hebrews 7 and 25 then tells us what the revelation is. Wherefore, he is able to save. 
Brothers and sisters, would you say the word save? Are you saved? You know, I, I love the term save because it's a biblical term. I hear a lot of watering down of what this is today, have come to this, have come to faith, have come to church. Are you saved this morning? He is able. Now listen, who's able to save? Jesus. So important, friend. I know these are simple truths, but there's so much complication today. Wherefore, he is able to save. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is able to save. And it says, save them to the uttermost. What does the uttermost mean? I know it was a WP used to say, from the guttermost to the uttermost. You know, we can lift us from the gutter. Have you been lifted from the gutter of sin? Have you been saved wonderfully, truly, and delivered by the power of God, translated into another kingdom? I tell you, when, when Jesus saves, he saves well. And this is what the word uttermost means. He saves completely. He saves perfectly. And he saves fully. He saves completely. He saves perfectly. And he saves fully. All those that come unto God by him, seeing that here is what he's, here is what Jesus is doing this morning. People want to know what, what, what Jesus is doing in heaven. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Who's the them? Not us. So Jesus is making intercession for you this morning. For you. See the day that he saved you and he delivered you and your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. You were washed in his precious blood. Do you know what Jesus engaged in doing every second since that time? He's been praying for you. He's prayed for you. He's prayed that your faith won't fail. He's prayed. He's seen every tear. He's seen your brokenness. He's seen your troubles. He's seen your dark times. He's seen your good times. He's seen your mountaintops. He's seen your valley. He's been there all the time. He's brought you through. He sustained you by his great power. When there's times when you're so weak, he's ministered his life and his grace into your life so that you somehow keep walking. How did I make it through? It's the grace of God. Why? Because there's a man in the glory. His name is Jesus. And he's representing you before his father. And he's praying that your faith won't fail. Who need not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Jesus saves completely. Jesus saves perfectly. And Jesus saves fully. This is what keeps us today. We are not kept by ourselves. We're kept by the power of Almighty God. Are you keeping yourself? Then you're better giving it up because you can't keep yourself. But Jesus keeps us. He's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save completely and he makes intercession for them. Intercession is the act of intervening on the behalf of someone else. Jesus this morning, listen, is intervening before the Father individually for you, not just corporately, not just for all the saints in the world, but for you this morning, Jesus knows you. Jesus knows every heart in this room. Jesus knows every struggle. Jesus knows every pain. Jesus knows, knows those that are weak. Jesus knows those that have failed him. Jesus knows that are those that are gripped by besetting sin. Jesus knows, knows those this morning that are at the point of of just, I can't go on anymore. Jesus knows those that are troubled in mind. Jesus knows what you said as you come through these doors this morning. He knows your last words, what you said when you put your head in your pillow last night. He knows every thought that you've thought through the night. Jesus knows all about it. He knows absolutely everything. And Jesus prays for us. He prays to the Father for everyone in this room. He intervenes on our behalf. The intercession of Christ given us the ability to live this life by the power of His Spirit. Now Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. We're coming to a close in a few minutes, but 
This is where I just want to finish this morning. Romans chapter 8. Remember, he's our great high priest. And he is interceding on our behalf. Why would he do that? And what is the purpose in that? Romans 8 verse 33 opens with a question. And this is important because there are many believers. There are some certainly here this morning that live, a pla- live in a place of continual condemnation. Now, let me, let me say something about us bringing the balance of the Word of God. The grace of God is not a license for anyone to sin. And, and sadly, we're rapidly moving into a distortion of the grace of God preached today and taught today in many circles. But it is not a license to sin. The grace of God enables us to live a life free from sin. That's what it does. It tells us that clearly in the scripture. But there are many who are battling in their mind with, I've heard this term, I'm not good enough. Can I tell you, none of us are. Just want to let you know that this morning. Not one of us are good enough. If any of us thought we were good enough, Jesus would never have had to die on the cross. But I know how the enemy works, how he twists that. So here in Romans 8, Paul writes these words, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who's the elect of God? If you're saved this morning, you're the elect of God. Would you say praise the Lord? It's good to be elected. I know I've seen a lot of election posters, and one of them had Sinn Féin at the top, a DUP at the bottom, uh, in the middle, and then I got a picture from our brother Joe, and at the bottom was... Uh, the circus is coming. <laughs> well, I can tell you something, folks. It's all a circus. And if you're trusting in politics, you're going to be very let down. If you're trusting political parties, you're going to let us down. They're going to abandon. Not watch it, friends. It's, it's all happening. If you're trusting in that. See, they believe that what's more important is the union than God's word. Let me tell you something. What's more important to a Christian is the word of God, not the flag that's over our nation. And I believe that God raises up and pulls down. But let me tell you something. We're trusting political parties. You're going to be disappointed. But who shall lay anything to the charge, anything to the charge of God's elect? Listen this morning. You're the elect of God. You're born again of the spirit of God. You're washed in the blood. Jesus has absolutely, perfectly, fully, and completely saved you. You are God's elect. Amen? I know people want to get into all the debates about who's the elect. I'm saved, and I'm the elect. And I know God wants everyone to be the elect. Oh, oh no, we're all panicking now. He's going down the theological routes. I'm not. I just believe that. He died for all men. He died for everybody. When you're saved, you're the elect of God. We'll find all out about it when we get to heaven. Listen this morning, who shall lay any charge to God's elect? Think about that. Who shall lay any charge? The elect of God. Who's the accuser of the brethren? It's the devil. He's a liar. Many battle with the charges that are brought to them by the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. Paul says, who, who should lay any charge to the elect of God? Think about it. It is God that justifieth. God saved you. Who is he that condemneth? So now we see, first of all, who is laying the charge to you and who is condemning you. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, And listen to these words. Who maketh intercession for us? Praise God this morning. He died. He rose. He's at the right hand of God. And he makes intercession for us. Then it breaks into these wonderful promises. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we 
are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church say, Amen. Who shall lay any charge to us? Who is he that condemns you? It's Christ this morning who maketh intercession for me. Friends, it's not us, it's him. So what did we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 4? Seeing then. You see, you need to see. Isn't that right? It's an awful thing when your eyes start to go in the natural and you can't see and the book's going further back or it's coming closer in. It's an awful thing when you begin to lose physical sight. But friends, there's a worse thing. It's when we begin to lose spiritual sight. And here the apostle writes, seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. What does it encourage us to do? Hold fast our profession. Hold on. When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. Hold on. Seeing then and hold on. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What does that mean? There's a man this morning in heaven. You know, I may not know your troubles, your trials, your weaknesses, your battles, your failures, your disappointments, but I want to tell you something. There's a man called Jesus that knows all about them. He knows everything. He knows the struggles. He knows the battles. He's seen the tears. He knows what you go through. He hears the cry from your heart. He knows that you desire to live in the life of victory and fullness. And that's what he died to give you. So it says here, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as like we are, yet without sin. And then he encourages us. Why? On the basis of what? On the basis of what I am, who I am, what I've done, how good I am. Friends, all our own righteousness, what are they? They're filthy rags. But because of him, let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy. Does anyone need mercy? We all need mercy. And find grace to help in the time of need. Do you know there's a throne of grace through the sacrifice of Christ that we can come boldly this morning. Come boldly. Find help. Anyone need help? Anyone need the ministry of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the grace of God in their heart this morning? That's why we're here. That's why he's at the throne. That's why his spirit is ministering in the hearts even now. Friend, this morning, look to him. He's our great high priest. Let's pray together as we close this morning.